Hi guys, I'm Dawn and I'm your host today for Sermons in Cars. And I'm in my car, so feels pretty appropriate. <laughs> uh, before we go any further, look down at the bottom of your screen and there's likely a subscribe button. If you click that, you'll get the best content, the newest content, right when it comes out instead of having to wait. Easy to watch in the, watch in the car or listen in the car um, because they're just little short tidbits, snippets of um, questions, really, that help us to deconstruct and unpack why we believe what we believe. It allows us to probe into our own faith and foundations just a little bit further, and I think that's very healthy. Last episode, Tony posed a question, started a series called What the Hell? What the hell do we believe and why do we believe it? Well, I was thinking about that and uh, the visualization that we have of God in our brain and where that came from. And some of us still think that God is like a kid with an ant form. And he, he is looking at the ant scurry around and trying to decide which one he will smite next for he is the almighty smiter, is he not? <laughs> Where did that come from? You might be surprised to know that that did not come from Jesus or even 2000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth or the apostles, that came from a tradition, a tradition of fear-based preaching and it's happened around the 17th, 18th century. And one of those people was Jonathan Edwards that contributed to this type of understanding of who God is. Jonathan Edwards um, orated and then later written, published sermons that were titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In this, in this sermon, he picks out the, the harshest qualities, the qualities of violence and uh, guilt-laden preaching and fear and retribution and capitulates that this is what makes up who God is and we should all because we fear hellfire and damnation and because we fear the Lord and his judgment we should all turn to Christ or know Jesus based on that fear that lingered hundreds of years and still lingers in some of our minds today I think back when I was a little girl I grew up in the 80s and late 80s, early 90s, and I was, thank God, I was raised in a Christian home, um, and that changed and made me who I was today. But there were some unhealthy preaching things and themes that were going on during that time. Lots of hellfire and damnation preaching pursuant to Jonathan Edwards' style approach, right? So, I mean, you might remember... Let me see if I can think of something. Jimmy Swagger. You remember Jimmy Swagger? You will go to hell. And he said hell. Like it was hell. So it was extra hell. <laughs> Bill and Tammy Faye Baker. Billy Graham. Um, and it was uh, it was very fear-based. And that galvanized an entire, actually multiple generations to follow um, doctrine or Christianity out of fear. And then we, we have this picture of our brain that, okay, uh, God must be really angry with me. And we walk around with that condemnation in our hearts. And that's how we live. I remember as a little girl, every night I would go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. But I would add on to that, 
because of this fear picture, I would add on to that. If I forgot to say, forgive me for something, please don't send me to hell because of it. Because if you didn't confess it with your mouth, you weren't saved. Um, so I felt like any little misstep and I would be gone. You know, it's a harsh reality thinking of God that way and carrying that with us. It changed the way I raised my kids. It changed the way my parents raised me, the way I raised my kids, the way my kids will raise kids. Um, it really impacted multiple generations. And I think that's why we still have some kind of that fear-based mentality. Um, it's, it's crazy to believe it's hundreds of years old and not thousands. It's not really how biblical tradition was created. It was Christian church fathers that did that. And uh, it still lingers. I mean, I've heard it said, maybe you have said it yourself, if I walk up into a church right now, it's going to catch on fire. Fire. I said that real country. But you get the point. Like, it's just going to combust and kill us all because um, I'm so bad or so wrong. Well, thinking about God like that changes the way we live. And maybe we run from that God. Maybe we don't want to be a part of that. Maybe we don't want to have that guilt. So we ran far, far away from God and don't believe he exists anymore, or at least not in the how we were taught. We run far away from church and from people who are believers because of that. I think that once we realize that we have that image through self-reflection and the exercises like Tony put us through um, in the last episode, the visualization of who God is to you, we can come to this reconstruction place, not just deconstructing the faith, but reconstructing who God is in our minds. So Tony took us back to creation and the created earth was the first thing that we hear in Genesis, right? God created and it was good and God created humans. And it was very good there. Just right there, God created something, us, that he thought was very good. He doesn't think we're bad, horrible people. He's not waiting to smite us when we screw up. He goes to great lengths to fix the things that we mess up in the world. Um, so I want to ask a question. And this is a, a question that's in debate in biblical scholarly circles, even today. What makes God who he is? What is the most salient quality? What is his essence? There are lots of right answers there. Um, some people say it's his sovereignty that make him that makes him who he is, because indeed he is in control of the powers and principalities of this earth. Some people say it's omniscience because he's everywhere in all things at once to all people. But I would like to posit that the most salient quality of God is love. And I think that can be found before creation, during creation, in the redemptive story throughout the written word and into eternity. You ready? <laughs> You're like, this girl does not know what happened before creation. I don't even know who she thinks she is. Okay, I'm going to give it my best guess. We know that God was not a created being, that he existed pre-existently for whatever it's worth. God is triune. So there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian doctrine is a really hard one for us. And maybe we'll talk about that later. But that triune God is pre-existent. It was there from the beginning. It's written all in the written word that tells us that. So what was God doing? I'm about to give you the answer. <laughs> God was loving the son in the spirit. I'm gonna say it again, you ready? God was loving 
the Son, in the Spirit. So before creation, before time, before all of these things happen, God was love. Whoa! And that is what God is and will be into eternity. He will always be loving the Son through the Spirit. He will always be loving. That is who he is. It's written throughout his word. We can even look in the Old Testament and the overtures of grace he had for the ancient Israelites um, when they didn't deserve it, when they rebelled against him, when they worshiped gods of flesh and bone, when they worshiped and did things that were unbecoming. God still rescues them and brings them through out of slavery in Egypt. Um, we can see it when Jesus walks the earth. He, people try to trap him. The religious leaders of the day try to trap him in this question saying, okay, so you're all that. So tell me what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus is like, that's super easy, man. That's super easy. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. And by the way, the second one is love your neighbors yourself. So he's telling us to do what he is doing or who he is. If God is love, then Jesus is manifest love on the earth. For his people because I believe that God created the world he didn't create it because he needed it he didn't create us because we needed to complete him in some kind of weird Jerry Maguire kind of way he created because he was so passionate about the son so compassionate so loving that he was he had to share he wanted to share that love with a created world he wanted to share the love of the son with you and i with humanity and that love we even call in modern terms uh, mel gibson did a movie we call it the passion of the christ that passion is a self-sacrificial kind of love that is not of this world. It is supernatural. It is, you can rarely find it here. And if you do find it, it is Jesus, God's love manifest in and through us because I believe that's who he is. That is his most salient essence. Jesus tells us no greater love is than this that a man laid down his life for his friends. That's self-sacrificial agape. Agape is the Greek word used to express that kind of depth of compassion, of passion, of self-sacrificial love that is not superficial. It's not cuddles. It's not a feeling or a notion. It is a, it is real and tangible and bred into and woven into our very being because we are very good in creation and we come from a loving God who is made of love, who is everything that is love. What does that change for you when you read the Bible? When you hear someone preach, what does that change? For me, it changed everything. You're like, oh gosh, there's, she's a girly girl. There's that girl preaching love and grace. And she is just like all lovey-dovey and she doesn't want to deal with the God of justice or whatever. I'm here to tell you when I started reading the Bible and interpreting it and understanding it, using Jesus as my barometer, using God's love as my measure, the text came alive in such a way that I was able to question things that seemed violent and retributive and realize that context is king, that context describes that. You have, every time you come across something that doesn't seem loving, if you challenge that with context, I promise you, you will find 
something else. You will find something that comes alive in a way that you've never felt it before. In this way, we can get rid of like church hurt because that was people, right? That was people who hurt you in the church and people are screwed up. We do stupid things. But like I said, through God's love for his son and through the son manifest love in and through us. Wow. We can change everything. We can recapitulate, restructure what we think about God. He's not violent. He doesn't want to smite you. He's not going to catch you on fire if you walk in a church. He couldn't. It's antithesis to his very being. That changes everything. I'm, I'm here to tell you now, you're like, oh, what about that Canaan situation where God said, wipe out the women and the children, right? Context, context, look, at, look deeper. Use Jesus as your parameter. If it does not jive with love or with Jesus's life, there's more to the story, I promise. Jesus is my parameter for reading the Bible. And he is the parameter for how I love. And when you think about it that way, everything changes. Everything. Everything. I think about, or you go back until like you're looking at rules and you're like, well, Jesus told him not to eat meat. Here we are eating meat, right? Well, maybe Jesus told him to eat, not eat meat because they didn't know how, like, think about this, right? He's a loving dad. He's a loving father. At the time in history, we didn't know how to cure meat or how to process it safely. So he kept his kids from dying or getting food poisoning. <laughs> like he is keeping his kids from eating pork because it's got, what is that? Shoot, trichinosis or something. He's, he's, they don't know how to process it yet. So it's just like I tell my kids, don't run out in the street because you'll get hit by a car. God's rules are just there for us to not get hurt. If you view the rules that way, if you view things that way, you can realize that the, that Jesus is the living logos. He is the eschatological, that's a big word, but the eschatological revealer of the divine. He alone is constituted for us. The written word is there. And is it useful? Yes, but it's not a part of the Trinity. It's not a part of passion or love of Christ. If you want to go to the Bible and find a violent God, you can find him. Yeah, if that's what you're looking for. If you want to go to the Bible and find, I don't know, um, a reason for capital punishment, bet you can find it. The written word will give you what you're seeking. Seeking you will find, right? That's a verse two, huh? The written word will give you what you are looking for. But if you're looking for a God that is all love, a God that is all promise, a God that is all hope, a God that is all new beginning, a God that loves his kids, a God that sent Jesus, the ark of the redemptive story in passion and self-sacrifice, um, you can find that too. Let us not forget the written word was used, the written logo. I keep saying the written word word in the Bible is logos. Um, the written word is the Bible and the living word is Jesus. And they're differentiated in the Bible. The written word is there for us to learn, but only through the, we need to take that and our image of God and pack that together and say, he is all love and all Jesus and Jesus is love. So how do I read this now? 
how does this change what I thought before? And I think that you'll find something completely different. The, the written word, the written logos was used to justify African-American slavery. We know that's not right today, but it was. The written word was used to justify Hitler's rise to power and killing ethnic Jews. He used scripture to do that. Um, but the Bible is not a weapon to wield at people. It is the love of Jesus written in a story for us to share. So I ask you to sit that on your heart today. Think about what the essence, what the true essence of God is and how does that change what you believe? And really, when your beliefs change and you know he is all things good and perfect and that love wins in the end, as it has, love always wins because that's who God is. Everything changes. Everything. Let that sit in your heart and spirit today. Love is written all over God in the written word. And Jesus, the living logos, was sent to share that with us. One more thing. In Matthew, I just popped in my head. In Matthew, it's so funny because there's all these rules, right? Um, from the Torah. And uh, in Matthew, Jesus comes in and there's this whole uh, section, this diatribe. And he goes, you've heard it said, but I say. And one of them is like, you've heard it said, but I You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, but I say love each other, <laughs> turn the other cheek. That means like, if they're gonna hit you, let them hit you on the other side and walk away. Love the people that are hard to love. You have heard it said, but I say, that's who Jesus is. He's telling us there's something greater than Moses and I am it. I am the revealer of the divine. I am the living logos and everything must be couched upon his presence, upon his life and light and ministry. If it doesn't jive with love, it doesn't jab with Jesus. <laughs> Have a great day. I hope you got something from it. Maybe it's praying and sitting in the meditating on the essence of God as pure love. Maybe that will change something for you today or your family or someone you love. Have a great day. Bye-bye.